Welcome, Dr. Shannon Crawford. It's not fair to make me cry before I even come on stage. <laughs> Love you. Thank you. Wow. Um, I want to thank Debbie. She's kind of taken an unknown person and just really created a platform for God to get to use um, what he puts in me. So thank you. I think Debbie is amazing, and I love her and adore her and cherish her. Um, and I'm going to put that in my pocket. There it goes. Okay. Um, so one of the reasons I had the last song played um, before I spoke is because I think there's a lot of things that are true. And then there's things that's truth. And so knowing the difference between that is pretty important. Because um, all my life, the enemy told me, fat, stupid, ugly, unimportant, invisible, unwanted. Um, And I believed every one of those things. And I was, you know, some of those things actually kind of were true. Um, But as I'm getting stronger in the Lord, God's making sure I know what's truth and not just what's true. Um, So several years back, um, I was having quiet time with the Lord, and he said, fast through lunch and don't hang out with anybody after church. And I was like, oh, man. Um, I was like, yeah, okay, extrovert, and I like food. Good, Lord, that's a fun way to start our Sunday. So I fasted through lunch, and he said, you are a carnal Christian. You are soulish Christian. And I said, okay. Um, And there was no condemnation. It didn't make me feel bad. You know, you can tell the difference when it's the enemy and when it's the Lord. Um, And he just really gently and lovingly let me know I am a soulish Christian. I have relied on my emotions and my feelings and circumstances my entire life. Um, And I love Jesus. And then I walk out of the presence of God and then I'm depressed and I'm, you know, hating myself and I feel worthless and invisible and all of those things. Um, So he wasn't being mean. He was being helpful. And so he brought me on a journey toward learning how to live according to what's truth, not just what's true in your life. And so I feel like the Lord wants to take us on a journey tonight. So we're going to start with the end in mind. He said, my people perish for lack of vision. And so a lot of times when we're on this journey, people fall off because we have no vision, we lose sight, we get miserable, and the world's way really is a lot easier. And I can't tell you how many clients I see that they're like, you know, my life was actually kind of awesome before I met God. No offense, but it's like harder knowing Jesus. Like that whole pick up your cross thing, not so easy. Um, And I would agree with them. It's not easy. Um, But it's so good. And I think the journey that we're taking is good and we have to have vision. So the Lord said we're going to start with the end in mind and then we'll go backwards. So um, if you have a pen and paper, I'm going to ask that when we do our activation to kind of dream about our vision for the future, um, that you just write any words, thoughts, images, visions that the Lord might give you. Um, So, yeah. So what we're going to do is I'll have you in a second. Close your eyes, and you're going to picture being a daughter of the Most High God, a princess royalty, and your future for what God has for you. You're going to daydream with dad. So sky's the limit. I'm going to ask that you don't daydream like an orphan, but you daydream like a daughter and a princess and royalty and whatever causes your heart to leap. And a good clue is any time that you kind of feel that, oh my God, I would love to do that. And you see it in somebody else. That's a good clue. That's something you're probably innately wired for. And so just let your vision go. And we've really been covering this in prayer that God would release vision. And things that maybe even are dormant or things that you haven't thought for a while or you thought you were disqualified or you couldn't do or whatever lies the enemy has told you, we want to resurrect dead things and we want to birth new things that he's already put inside your spirit, man. So I'm going to have you close your eyes 
and erase the chalkboard of the mind, all the thoughts that you came in, all the to-do lists, everything, kids, releasing all of it. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. I thank you for your kisses for each daughter. I thank you each woman is the daughter of promise, and she's royalty, and that's truth. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd release vision. I cancel and bind any worthlessness or feelings of less than or impossible. And, God, I pray that they would just daydream with you right now. Have you picture opening the doors to your heart and just enjoying daydreaming with the Lord. If you could do anything, be anywhere, be around whoever. Five, ten years from now, what would your future hold? Letting go of glass ceilings, limits you've placed on yourself or others have placed on you. And just dreaming with the Lord. him hugging you and crowning you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Receiving the end from the beginning. It's a completed work at the cross. Everything in your future is already done. You don't have to work or strive or earn. That's the way an orphan works, not a daughter. You get inheritance just because the birthright of your blood. Letting yourself dream. Have you start to open your eyes with psychology. There's lots of good training to understand how our inner world works. So I believe our spirit, it has encased within it, it's destiny, DNA, everything you're going to do that's awesome in your future and for your promised land, you have everything already encased within you that you need. And then you have a soul, and your soul is neutral. It's not your flesh, it's not bad, it just is. And your soul, I kind of picture like an earth suit, and it kind of helps acclimate you to this realm. So our spirit is used to heaven because that's where we're made and dad made us in his image. And then now we're living in this earth in a fallen world and we're like wet cement. And everything we go through is like a, a very vivid, real impact onto your soul. So they would say, research says by age two, they can predict a lot of mental health issues. So birth to two is a pretty critical time period. And a lot of people would say even in the womb. That we can sense if we feel accepted or if we're rejected, if we're wanted, not wanted. If I wanted a boy instead of a girl, if I wanted this instead of that. And children can really sense a lot of things. And sometimes uh, my clients have even shared about God taking them to those memories and just these loud, angry voices and how that put in a spirit of fear, even from the womb. And so understanding context of our little soul is being imprinted really early on. I was going to show a YouTube video, but I thought it might take a little bit too long. Not the one I'm talking about later. This is a different one. Um, So this one, it's called the Still Face Mommy. And it's a mom, and she's interacting with her baby, and it's, like, sweet. And the baby references, and the mom references, the baby coos, and the mommy coos. And so all of that's imprinting onto the infant. You're real, you exist, and you have value and worth. 
and mommy's eyes are opening. When your eyes dilate, it dilate, it shows interest and welcome. It's making that baby feel like I'm real, I exist, and I'm important. And all these things are like magnificently being wired in that brain in that instant. Then, for the study, they had the mom turn away and then look and just stare. And the baby was like trying its, its things, like reference, you're not, you're not doing it. And it tried to coo, and then it started crying. And it just was so painful to watch an infant try to get attention from its mom. Research shows that children who have depressed moms significantly do worse in life. They have more depression, more anxiety, more fretfulness, because what happens is when we're very, very young, we need mom to put a sense of well-being inside of our soul. And if we don't have that, you know, the enemy is a roaring lion. He can have, you know, very good moms seem not good to an infant, right? The baby's crying and there's the self-soothe where the mom doesn't come, you know, or all these things. So parents who are addicted to things, that's rough because now that child has a parent who's like this instead of a parent who's like this. And so instead of internal consistency, my soul is now being affected by the rhythm of my parents because we interject, which means take in our parents. And our soul is being imprinted by everything we walk through. The good news is we're plastic, metaphorically, meaning that it can be shifted and changed and God can heal all of it. But it's, it's pretty deep. And that sets the course of your life and the filters by which you're going to view everything. Perception. That's a big part of reality. So, again, my childhood perception is fat, ugly, stupid, nobody wants me, you know, unwanted, all those things. So much self-hatred and depression because the filters that were formed, and I had amazing parents. I've never actually been orphaned. I've never actually had somebody do, you know, a million bad things. I've had really good family, but there is an enemy who wants to make sure we take the wrong interpretation out of every single event. And so, you know, metaphorically not my dad but a dad could walk home and be like angry and gruff and all this stuff and as you know my dad that's not him so that's why i'm using that as a metaphor um that that baby internalizes it we take in our environment children are egocentric which means it is all about me if you're being nice it's because i'm worthy if you're being mean it's because i'm unworthy and i'm bad and so that's how the enemy creeps in shame the first thing that we need to do is develop trust unfortunately We live in an imperfect world where people can't be perfect. And so infants, for a lot of us, experience mistrust. And we don't know that, right, because we're all these years away from those early, early wounds. But you can tell if there's kind of a a mistrust in you of, well, let let me just do that. You know, I'll just just take care of that. I'll just control that. Or why bother? It's not going to work anyway, no matter what I do. All of that is I don't trust my environment. I don't trust that things are going to work out if I don't do it. If there's a franticness to you, if there's a kind of a depressive or anxious or worried, all of that is kind of heralding back to early wounds of mistrust. And that's not a bad thing. It's just an is thing. Your soul is just being impacted and there's an enemy wanting to make sure you believe the wrong things. And so in our soul, we have all this stuff that just kind of gets encased And then we learn how to walk and talk and go through life and all this stuff happens and we don't even realize that stuff's on the inside and we probably had very very nice parents and nothing horrible happened, but yet it it impacted us. Every experience of rejection, every sin, every wound, every thing that we watched, every time we got startled and frightened and all that stuff, it's impacting us. So isn't that a fun pep talk on a Friday night? (laughs) 
The reason I'm saying that is because the Lord has our vision. My second vision is that um, I was at Pink Impact, and I had just come from a year of literal wilderness of being by myself, and that was very hard. Um, And now I'm at Pink Impact, which is Gateway's Women's Conference, and I see Dr. Carolyn Leaf get up, and she's a neuroscientist and, you know, brainy, but then talking at women's conferences. In my entire life, uh, well, at five, I wanted to be a missionary until I wanted to be rich, and then I wanted to be an actress. So that changed a little bit. But the desire for ministry was always there. Um, So I always wanted to be in ministry, and I didn't understand God taking me through psychology and all this stuff that I'm like, ah, gross. That's not me. I want to be, like, in ministry. And so I fought him tooth and nail, but I submitted and went through the process. So when I see Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do, Lord. Like, I want to use all the stuff you've taught me in psychology and then bring it to the church and make it understandable. Um, So this year pep talks of all pep talks the lord on january 1st i i feel it with him hopefully i was wrong um he said you're not going to meet your husband this year and you're going to do psychoanalysis training instead and i'm like oh more training lord like psychology is not even i mean it's it's good and i've learned to love it but it's not like it's like i was burst in psychology and want to do this the rest of my life i mean it's good and i like the fact that it heals and ministers um so for him to after my doctorate wanted to do more training instead of get married, like, seriously, that is not the pep talk I wanted on January 1st of this year. But I'm going to submit because I know the character of my dad. I know the character of my dad because I've been in the wilderness a lot. And so I think a lot of the wilderness is God shows us, kind of like the Israelites, right, that he takes them out of Egypt and they've been imprinted 400 years Remember what I just said about the soul? 400 years in slavery. That is a slavery orphan mindset if I've ever heard of one. Not just in your own family. You literally have oppressive authority figures beating you. You're not sure if you're getting your next meal. You're having all these horrible experiences. That's impacting the soul and then the next soul for 400 years. The Israelites were birthed to be slaves by that point. They were absolute orphans. And they were just kind of doing the best they could. They're crying out to God. And then it says God hears their cry. He sends Moses. And then what happens when we cry and ask God for help? It gets worse, right? It gets much worse. The slave drivers, like, double their work. They don't even give them what they need. Like, how many times have we cried out for help and we're like, God, please help me in this? And it gets so much worse. So I was working in Hawaii, and a very secular place, and I was, like, praying and fasting. I'm like, Lord, we want revival here, and blah, 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 blah. So what happens? Then they approach me about being in a gay parade, and I have to say no, and then it gets worse. So I don't know about his route to revival, but it got worse before it got better. And it got better. But be encouraged if you're praying for something and you're like, Lord, we really need you to heal our marriage, heal our kids, heal our nation. Usually it does get worse. So that's just an encouragement. (laughs) That the slave drivers doubled their effort and it's worse. And they're like, wait, why did we even, Moses, we're not even sure about you. Like, what's this even about? This sucks for us right now. Um, And so Moses is kind of doing his obedience thing and keeps going back and, Um, then the Lord supernaturally spiritual high, he releases them out of slavery and bondage. That's kind of like us getting saved, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I know Jesus. I have the spiritual high. You have spiritual clarity. It's like, oh my gosh. And then everything you ask for is answered. 
You know, the Israelites, they're like, hey, neighbor, give me your stuff. And they're like, okay, just leave. Like, here's your stuff. So they get stuff. They ask God for help. God's right there. It's kind of like God's reparenting them. Remember, the first stage is trust. Our first psychological stage is trust versus mistrust. So Father God, knowing they've been orphaned, that orphan wound, 400 years, meets them in the moment of their salvation, and then almost like an infant, he's like, okay, I'm right here. You can trust me, answering every prayer. I've got your back. And then the enemy's chasing them down. They're like, ah, oh, no, you want us to die in the wilderness? And they're all dramatic. And Who else is dramatic? Do you think that we're dramatic? God does all these wonderful things, and then the first time something doesn't work out, we're like, ah, because we still have orphan wounds. We still have that stuff inside of us also. It's easy to look at the Israelites, but it's a little different to look at us when we do it. And so then the Lord rescues them, another spiritual high, and you're like, oh, man, pressed in, and God did it, and that was awesome, and then waiting. And then the Lord's teaching you to train your soul to trust. That's where we learn how to put on our diapers. We learn how to walk and talk and function without him holding us. So a lot of people I work with end up getting very discouraged at this stage because it's like, well, God's abandoned me. Where did he go? Am I sinning? Am I doing something wrong? Um, Or is this a stage developmentally where the Lord's training you to trust? He's training your soul to say, okay, we don't have food today, Lord. We need food. God didn't offer the food until they asked. Scripturally, it says, you have not because you ask not. So there is a stage where he wants us to talk, communicate, build relationship. So they cry out and moan and groan, but maybe we could just ask and say, hey, Dad, I need this today, and I thank you, and I receive it by faith. And so now they're, they're in the wilderness, and they're hanging out. It's about two years. And then God's like, all right, it's time to come down from the mountain. Let's do this. And then before they know it, Well, actually, this one's before two years. Moses is up there 40 days, and they're already back to their golden idols. Aren't we? Our emotions as women and men, um, they are such an idol to most of us. I am aware of my feelings at all times, and I have been controlled by my emotions my entire life. As an orphan, I have learned how to self-soothe, self-protect, and feel everything. And it's kind of like, I picture almost like we have a bleeding ulcer on the inside, all these wounds. But we don't know that they're there because God gives us defense mechanisms so we can survive and get through stuff. So it's like it stuffs it all down there. And I'm walking around, tying shoelaces, going to school, going to work, doing my life. And I don't know all this stuff is down here. But it makes us kind of selfish, makes us kind of self-aware that I'm always kind of the center of, don't do that to me. Oh, man, her, her anointing's better than mine or jealousy, or all this stuff, because I'm kind of protecting a wound area, and when other people are around me, they accidentally brush brush by it, you know? And so I've got all this wound stuff. And God knows if I leave you like that, if he took Israel the way they were, golden calf and all, and put them in the promised land, it would be destroyed in five seconds. Because we know enough about spiritual warfare and regional spirits to know that they would have handed that right back to the enemy and they would be doubly, if not seven times fold, worse captivity. As a good dad, he's not going to lead us into our promised land before we're ready 
to be in a place of health, to steward it so we're not destroyed by the promise. Some of you have such destinies and calls on your life that I'm, I'm in reverence and awe of the women in this room because God said these are women of promise and to not discount small groups because it was a handful of people who prayed at, for Azusa, Azusa Street, and then it became Azusa Street Revival. Handful of people, a bunch of students in seminary. So a handful of people can change the world. And God said, you're going to be speaking to world changers. You may not know that. You may have believed lies. You may have believed orphan wound lies that Satan's told you. But God said, you're a world changer. You're a world changer. Um, so that just distracted me, Lord. But you are. Um, so, Father, you distracted me. Um, so in our orphan wounds... He knows that we're likely to go back to the golden calves, whatever those have been. It's, you know, gossip, slander, fear, doubt, unbelief, uh, you know, listening to your emotions, rebellion, pride, arrogance, haughtiness. All of these things are golden calves. All of them are a way for your soul to take care of itself. Because that's what the soul is about. Look at this world. Our culture is about self-survival, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, self-sufficiency, self-protection mechanisms, self. Our golden calf in the United States and probably much of the world, I think, is ourself. We have so much self-idolatry. And I don't even think that's a bad thing as much as it's a symptom of a lot of wounds down here because I think we don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be jealous and envious and have all these issues and be like, oh, my gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what that's about. What thought was that? I don't want that. God knows that's not my heart. That's not who I am. But there's a wound on the inside, and from that root, it births fruit that doesn't look like him. So I handed you handouts, not because I'm following them, but because I just kind of felt like the Lord said, you know, here's some key things. And there's more details in there so that if I miss anything, then you can go back and reference it with the Lord. But I talk about the fruit of the spirit versus the fruit of an orphan. So the spirit is as a daughter who's protected and provided and taken care of and cherished. And I don't have to be jealous or envious because my dad's got my back and you know, I'm good enough just me. Versus an orphan who's like, okay, image Management, control, keep it together. Hi. Oh my God, did you see what she's wearing? <laughs> like all that kind of stuff is very orphan. Being around the right people, having the right image, all that stuff is because I don't really feel secure on the inside. I feel like I need to show you something else. So I've listed those out, and those are not like from the Bible. That was more like just writing as I felt prompted. Um, the Fruit of the Spirit, obviously, that one was from the Bible, um, but not my side of the orphan. Um, and so inside, he's cleaning out all of that stuff. And the way that he does that is he releases vision, and then he takes you through wilderness, like the Israelites, where then you walk through stuff that's hard. And I think the whole reason is because he wants the undone season to put enough pressure on the defense mechanisms and the coping mechanisms that we have built in our soul to get those to finally break away like dead skin. And it's pressure. It's hard. It may be a marriage. It may be finances. It may be um, depression. It may be losing a job. It may be losing a ministry. It may be, you know, whatever it is, no friends, no relationships. Um, I've had lots of them where it's just this prolonged, like, 
seriously, what just happened? Like, awesome back there, God, could we go back? And then you walk through something, and it's just hard. And you're not even sinning or doing anything bad. But you want to, and your flesh comes up with lots of brilliant ideas on how to get you out of that season. That affair looks like a good idea, just a little bit of skinning money off the business, that sounds like a good idea. Um, You know, being around the right people, fixing it for yourself, that is an orphan response, which is kind of going back to that golden uh, calf and doing that loop around for 40 years instead of just the quick 40 days route, right? And so I feel the Lord in his kindness allows circumstances to put enough pressure that we come to the end of ourselves and go, I can't do it anymore. I, I just cannot do this anymore. It's, it's breaking. And I think at that moment you have a critical moment where you find out if you're like Joshua and Caleb or if you're like all the rest of the Israelites. Are you going to say, God, this sucks and I don't understand And for me, I crawled under a bed, and I couldn't fit because my butt was too big. Literally, I felt like I died that day. I literally felt like my, I just, there was something that just died. Something in my soul died that day. And there's lots of days in my life where I have died. I've laid stuff down, and I said, I don't want to. I don't want to do psychoanalysis. I'd rather get married. I don't want to do a lot of the things he's asking me to do. But as a good dad, I trust his character. Because part of the undone season is he's training my soul to trust. He's giving me daily provision. He's caring for my needs. He's protecting me from the enemy. And a lot of what's interesting is in the undone season, I don't know that there's as much warfare as there is soul stuff starting to come up. And so when the pressure comes on, because when I'm in a good mood and everything's going my way, I'm like super mega Christian. You know, everything is just like, yes, Lord. And then when life is hard, it's like putting the heat on and that stuff that's already been down there starts to emerge. All the weeds start coming up. And I'm like, oh, that's awkward. That's not good. Oh, man, that's ugly, too. Dang it. God showed me I had. um, Didn't you love how I'm just putting myself under the bus? Um that I have a lot of fear of lack and, um, like, like I need to constantly make sure that things are okay. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, that's ugly. I didn't notice that my entire life, but now that the pressure's on and I'm really stressed about finances and money and making sure everything's going to be taken care of, I'm getting ugly stuff coming up, and I'm like, okay, what is this about? So obviously I'm repenting, you know, I repent to the fear of lack. I know that. I've gone to enough spiritual inner healing things. And yet it wasn't going away. I'm like, okay, I repented. I cast out the spirit of fear. Where is it coming from? God said there's a wound where that fear and that spirit and all that stuff came from. He showed me that there was a wound of deprivation. I don't even know how it got there. Zero to two, probably. I got a wound of deprivation this, where I didn't get enough emotional needs met. Something wasn't met that was supposed to, and I don't know how. Um, And so now that left a sense of deprivation and lack on the inside. And so then our soul, you know, compensates for that by creating structure around your wound. And it creates a fear of lack. So then you make sure that you now control your circumstances and make sure you have enough money and you have enough things to make sure that you're okay. That's an orphan response. I'm making sure I'm okay. I'm not trusting God to provide. 
Now, if you ask me up here in my awareness, I would say, absolutely, I trust God. He has provided so great. The Lord is so good. I had no idea that 90% of me was living as an orphan from a place of deprivation. So the Lord said, you're going to have to cry that out. You're going to have to let me minister to that wound. Like, what? Lord, I go to inner healing conferences and there's no crying. There's cast the demon out, do the inner healing, come out of agreement with this, come into agreement with that. The wound has to get healed. And that's what the undone season is. And I don't know what your wounds are. I'm still walking out a lot of mine. But there's wounds to the stuff that you're dealing with. If it's anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, fear, worry, panic, um, gossip, slander, jealousy, whatever your thing is that you're like, man, I wish that would stop. You know, overeating. That was part of that fear of lack. I was constantly putting something in my mouth because this fear of being deprived. And I didn't understand how that could be related to a wound, but my dad did. So by spending time with him, he's showing me a lot of stuff on the inside that's not flattering, but it's so sweet because when you get healed and you let yourself cry it out with your dad, you experience him in a completely different way. Two, two nights ago, yeah, um, I was typing away, working on my PowerPoint, or presentation thing, whatever, and um, I just had this doom feeling. And I was like, ugh, where, what is this, Lord? Like, I'm doing this. Like, what is just going on right now? And I've already walked through so much. Are you serious more? And so I fasted the breakfast the next day, and I said, all right, Lord, what is going on? I couldn't figure out what the feeling was. I did all the stuff. I'm casting out demons. I'm, you know, inner healing. I'm, you know, come out of agreement, come into agreement. And all those things are true, and they are good. I'm not minimizing them. But all of that needed me to get to a wound. I had a fear of abandonment that he would, that I would come out here and then he'd back out and I'd be all by myself and then the demons would just attack me. I had no idea. None. No idea. There's no way you could have told me that I had a fear of abandonment, that I'm going to go and minister, and then God's just going to back off and let all the demons attack me. There's no way I would have believed you. But God said you do. You have a fear that I'm going to abandon you, that you're going to get out so far and you're going to get exposed and I'm not going to have your back. I'm not going to be there with you. And so as I acknowledge the fear of abandonment and let him into that wound, that pain pocket, to heal that place, then I'm like, well, I come out of agreement because I had a very clear picture. It was like on a battlefield and I'm standing and everybody leaves and it's just me and then the enemy just swarms. Um, And so I come out of agreement with that lie. Um, And I come into agreement with the truth, and then the Lord showed me warring angels, legions of angels, and the sense that, like, he's with us, he's fighting for us, he's already here preparing the way, fighting for each of you. But if I didn't pursue that, I wouldn't have gotten that healing. Because that's been there a long time. That's not new. Statistically, most of our wounds happen when we're super, super young. And you don't have to know exactly what happened as much as, Dad, I think I really feel insecure, anxious, worried. What is that about? And that's your pursuit with him. You don't have to have all the right names and terms. I went to uh, Pink Impact this last year, and I'm super excited, and I love church, and I love ministry, and I love women, and I'm like walking in, I'm just already crying with happy tears of like, oh my gosh, this is like Mecca. (laughs) 
like girl goodness of church. And so I'm just standing there and I'm all big eyed and happy. And then I walk in the sanctuary and worship starts. And then I start feeling critical and I'm like, can't even focus. And I'm like, man, how many more years until my destiny, you know? And I'm like, what in the world just happened? Like literally that quick. I'm like happy tears. And then all of a sudden I'm like, gargoyle. Like what in the world just happened? It was so quick. And so I just kind of struggle. I'm like, Lord, I repent. I don't know what this is, but I repent. I'm trying to focus, I'm trying to worship here, Lord. I don't know what's going on with me. And so finally the next day, I was in quiet time, and I was looking back over promises of my life, and I'm like, Lord, what was that about? And I didn't even know the term. I didn't know about this, but he said, you have an orphan spirit because you have an orphan wound. No, not me, Lord. I have a great family. There's nothing wrong with my, oh, I know I really do. He said, an orphan is jealous and envious and compares and worries and tries to figure out the, the structure of how he's going to do it in the years and how much longer. He said, that's how an orphan responds, not a daughter. Oh, okay. So I have an orphan wound. So then he started putting the puzzle pieces together for me. I go to lots of inner healing conferences. I want to know everything God's doing and showing to different people because he does. He shows different things to different camps, and it's so neat. I like how the body of Christ works. So I go to all of these, and um, I'm always learning and absorbing, and he's trying to show me that what we've all been talking about with different language, whether they call it a stronghold or they call it a you know, self-protection mechanism or a defense or a wall or a whatever they call it, it's all kind of protecting the same thing. And I would say that our flesh, like the Israelites, is an orphan. And then we create this structure around it. So all the inner healing models are good. We just need to get down to the wound so the enemy can't come back in through that wound. Because the enemy very much can come through your thoughts, and he can also come through your emotions. You can just have a feeling. I was doing an act of obedience, laying down a different relationship a long time ago. And I was like, being obedient, I was good. I'm like, okay, well, I feel good. And then all of a sudden, I just had this, ugh, and started crying. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what's happening right now. This prophet lady came in, and she said, that's the spirit of despair. Cast it off. And I was like, oh, I feel great. Man, I feel all better. Except that spirit has come back in several different times in my life because I never got that despair healed. It's only been in this last season of my life that the Lord's showing me where despair had set in when I was super, super young. I knew I had depression, self-hatred, all that stuff, but those are kind of like clinical words you hear. I didn't think of it as that deep sense of despair and lack and deprivation. It's all the same wound. It's the sense of being like an orphan, undefended, unprotected, exposed, abandoned, on your own, nobody's got me, and I've got to keep it all together, keep control. Or the opposite, why bother? Don't even, it's not going to work out anyway. Nothing I put my hand to works, so don't bother. Anxiety, depression, right? Isn't that what that looks like? Where we cycle through them, where our mood is like this. And so that's the undone season. That's letting God say, okay, love, if you'll just get away with me and you'll let me show you the root wound of why that thing is. I think the enemy's joy is for us to have an issue, and then we get stuck in condemnation and repenting a thousand times, and, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. He wants us to stay focused on the symptom of the issue, the fruit of it, instead of looking at what is the root system of why that issue keeps coming up in your life. And it will come up in various ways, right? And so that's our job, is to say, Dad, what is that root? 
I keep noticing this theme in my life of fear, of panic, of hopelessness, of despair, of whatever. Going to that place and saying, I don't know if I was zero or 40, but something must have happened, and I need to let you into that wound. And I have to tell you, that includes emotion. It includes getting the anger and the hate and the emotion out. One of my most powerful experiences, I was praying with a friend, and um, we went back to a really early wound, and the Lord showed me that condemnation in my inner world to my soul, condemnation in my mind's eye had dressed up and masqueraded as my father my entire life, Father God. And so I was really relating with condemnation my entire life, thinking I, I was relating with God, my dad. And I didn't, parts of me didn't like God as a Christian because he's mean. And I didn't know it was condemnation. And so when God showed me I've been relating emotionally, with, a, with actually a masquerade. Does this make sense? It's almost like the enemy masquerades and he acts like, Father, you shouldn't have done that. You should do this more. What's wrong with you? Oh, my gosh. Like, I was the most weeping, miserable Christian you've ever met. And I really genuinely loved God, but miserable. And so when God showed me that was actually a spirit masquerading as him and that I thought was God, I felt rage for the first time in my entire life. In my mind's eye, I'm like beating him and killing him. I'm so angry. I had to feel the rage. We have to get the emotion up and out. A lot of times you'll feel emotion because it's already there, and the enemy knows exactly that trigger point. He hits on it. It's already there, and then it floods you, and it's like cortisol shooting through your body. Your stomach drops. Your heart races. You feel all these things, panic, whatever. Because he knows those access points where it's already been stored inside of your soul. As the Lord is doing this healing in me, I'm watching myself respond completely different. And I'm like, oh, that used to, would have made me really upset. I, I actually feel really good right now. I'm really content. I'm really joyful. I'm like, this is pretty supernatural for somebody who literally, I cannot tell you how depressed I was. I mean, it's a journey. You know, we live in a culture where we want it really quick. But God's the God of the wilderness. And the undone season of letting him take my defenses, take my walls, take my barriers, and get into that stuff. Let him into those wounds. Let him in there. Cry it out. Bang it out. Whatever needs to happen, let the emotion out. And I think that's where we've been missing a lot in the church is we don't love on that soul very much. We treat it like it's the flesh. The flesh gets into our soul and we act in our soul like the flesh. God's trying to get the flesh out of our soul so that now our soul is healthy. It's submitted the way it's intended to be. And my spirit is the one connecting and so I'm in proper alignment. So that then he can take us into our promised land and the enemy can find nothing in us. Jesus spent 30 years just hanging out with God doing absolutely no ministry. I think as a bastard in that culture... He had to get a lot of healing. You don't know what God was doing. 30 years hanging out, building friendship. His soul was still a man. His spirit, but his soul was still a man. He had to learn to trust. He had to walk that walk out so that by the time he got into his testing, then he was ready to stand and say, no, Satan, I'm not falling for that. I'm not falling for that. All the tricks, all the bag of gold and glitter that you offered that look just like what my heart leaps at, no. That could only happen if you've built enough time, track record, wilderness and mountaintop, wilderness and mountaintop, where life does kind of feel like that. 
Because that's building trust. It's building something of substance on the inside of our character where we get healed and we build friendship with the Lord so that when you enter your promised land, you need to know that's when spiritual warfare really steps in. The enemy has already been encamped in your promised land, right? You're going to the land of the Canaanites, Moabites, he lists the ites. They're already there. The enemy is already the god of this world. He's already taken territory of teenage pregnant girls, right? He's already taken territory. It's already his. So now God is raising you up to rule and reign in a region that has demonic power already in it. That means there's more spiritual warfare going into your promised land than any time in the wilderness. The wilderness is your flesh dying and being like, I submit, this is hard. Are you serious? That's the wilderness. When you go into your promised land, the warfare really starts because the enemy does not want to relinquish his territory. It's already his as far as he is concerned. And so that's where you have to have enough strength in your soul, in your spirit, and in your inner being that you do not succumb when he offers you everything he can offer. When you're entering your promised land, don't give up. Warfare is right there. They would say statistically the first two years of marriage are hell for Christians. It's pretty easy for a lot of other people who don't know the Lord. And I'm not saying a word curse over you if you're married. But just know that there's going to be warfare because Satan hates marriage. He hates ministry. He hates anything where you're going to have an impact on the kingdom of God. That's why the undone season is so pivotal. And that's why we feel like we're walking around in circles because we're not passing the test. And a dad who loves you is not going to let you go into warfare with all these gaping wounds, bleeding. And the enemy's like, done. God loves you too much. Submitting in the undone season, letting him have access, makes you a fortress in the kingdom. So you're like Jesus and you're like bulldozing through the test. You're bulldozing through everything the enemy throws at you. Because it's going to come. Testing and trials will come. The enemy will try what he can. He's been defeated. But your soul can be tricked if it's not submitted. If I don't know that I trust God more than I trust me and my way of doing things, you will be defeated. And you will just keep taking the test. God doesn't give up on us. He just has us keep taking the test. Jacob is somebody who is a good example of somebody who had character issues, right? He's a deceiver. And God had to spend a lot of years on his deception before he could let him be Israel. Joseph had a lot of pride. You want to hear about my dream? Let me wear my fancy coat in front of you and let you know I'm like the favorite one. God spent a lot of time on the downward road to get pride out. King David, he's a back 40. Nobody even considers him to bring him before the prophet. I think he had some wounds from family issues. Look at his journal. He's like, they're all against me. I'm awesome. You're great. The world sucks. Like, he's all over the map. I think he had family issues. He's not even considered when, you know, cool stuff happens in their family. He's left working. So God said, let's heal. Let's spend time. So that when you enter in, David wasn't willing 
to compromise and get his destiny himself. He said, I won't touch God's anointed. Even with everybody encouraging him. It's right there. Right there, Saul's done. You're king. It's prophetic, like God promised. You should just do it now. Get it over with. It's much easier. He had spent enough time in the wilderness being undone, journaling, processing, working through stuff, that by the time of his testing, Saul's breathing down his neck, and he just continues to show love, to be Jesus to somebody who's trying to kill him. Slander campaign of the century, maligned him, run him out of the city into the wilderness, and he's showing love to that person. That's the lineage Jesus came from. We have women of destiny in this room. You are daughters of promise and there's calls on your life and we need you in position. The body of Christ does not properly function without each of you in position. If you're not putting things together, it's not going to get put together. I'm not going to do it. If Yvonne's not ministering to teenage pregnant girls, it's not going to happen. If you're not ministering on planes and telling people about Jesus and being in love with him, it's not going to happen. We're not getting good food and have a restaurant where young people get to have, you know, jobs and meals. If we're not having worship that goes before the battle. This is a big deal. And we need to understand the value of the wilderness of being undone so that you're ready to stand in position to go through every test and trial so that you get to enjoy your promised land. And it's fun. And it's amazing. And it's a gift. And you'll still do some stuff even in your promised land. Because David didn't, right? He still had some Bathsheba stuff. So even in your promised land, we need to stay sharp. He didn't allow God to get every single one of those wounds. I think one of his issues is that he was kind of emotionally driven, right? And so when you let God do all this stuff, we might have David's and Joseph's and Jesus's, you know, metaphorically in this room. That we're all going to be like, oh my gosh, thank you Jesus that this person who served, maybe nobody even knew their name, but they served diligently so that the elbow and the knee and the joint and the eye of the body of Christ properly functions. And we're advancing as one unit, a healthy bride, ready to overtake the land that the enemy has held captive of this generation and the generations ahead. This is our God's call on our lives, that we enter into what our heart is leaping to do, Just submit to the process. And then you'll enter and you'll be excited and there's nothing that can trade the sense of being in your destiny and doing what your heart is made to do. And so my call to you is to let God in. Ask him questions. I had to ask, what is this bad, dirty, shame stuff about? What is? He said, those are the lies you believed when you were molested. Oh. And so those had gotten really core. My entire life of since I've known that, now I say, I'm such a good girl. You delight in me. I'm pretty. I'm smart. I do not give room to bad, dirty, and shame to come back. I've renewed my mind. I've spent time weeping and journaling and praying and going over those wound areas because I don't want that stuff in my life. And I definitely don't want the enemy having access because when you enter your destiny, the Lord's glory is displayed or you act like an orphan like Saul. And you lead people down a bad path. And we want to be daughters who act like David 
and lead the people into righteousness and holiness and the desires and dreams of their heart and that they get to flourish and meet Jesus. And, and that's the kind of women we want to be. So my charge to you is that you open up places. You ask him, God, why, why is this? And he might answer in lots of different ways. It might not be an audible voice. It might be through therapy, inner healing. It might be deliverance. It might be talking to a friend. It might be this meeting. (laughs) It might be lots of different things. So just put it on your radar. Ask him questions. So I'm going to end with this. Last night, I am driving here. It's 1030 at night, and I'm leaving Keller, so it's about hour and 20 drive. And I'm getting on the freeway, and I notice there's yellow cones. But I'm like, ah, there's always construction. So I just kind of go around them, enter the freeway anyway, go my normal route. And I'm like, okay, man, it's dark. And I'm like, man, there's no lights. There's no traffic. And I notice that on the other side of this 12-foot cement blocking thing are all the other cars. And I'm on a dead freeway by myself. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And now, as I'm noticing that, my vision returns. And there's, like, all these rocks. And the cement is broken, and then the ground is gone, and there's, like, big dead. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing right now? And I was so, like, laughing, and I'm like, Lord, this has to be for tomorrow, because I have no idea what this is about. But everybody else is sailing, and I'm like, it's 1030. I'm tired. I'm speaking tomorrow. Like, really, why am I not on the fast track? (laughs) And I'm driving around potholes, and my car's going down these dips, and there's all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so... Finally, I meander around. There's like cranes and you know all this stuff, and I get off. And then I've driven this like a thousand times. I know this route. This is where my parents live. So then I get back on the freeway, and then I see the sign that says "expect delays." And I'm like, "Oh, that's funny." And then I drive. I take a wrong turn, and I go in the opposite direction for like a long time. And I'm driving, and I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at. There's no lights. There's one semi guy that drives the other way. I'm like, I am by myself, wrong direction. This is not west, Lord. I'm going east at this point. And so then finally I turn around and I see that sign again. It says expect delays. I'm like, okay. I think that's how the wilderness season feels. You get turned around. You feel jumbled. You feel undone. It's like I'm going the wrong direction. Lord, I thought you said I was going to do this awesome thing over here in the west. And now my life is going east. Like, I'm bankrupt when I'm supposed to be rich. Like, I'm, I'm in jail instead of, like, doing something awesome in ministry. I don't know. And so I think that was a comical way for the Lord to be like, that's kind of what the undone season feels like. And, and I was driving slow and cautious and nervous. I think that's what it feels like. And so as we end, I want it to start with the end in mind that all of this is because you have something incredible a store. It only takes a season. Let him in. Let him do his thing. Get the orphan stuff out. Act like a daughter. Act in the spirit of a daughter. And when you don't see it, don't get mad or condemned. Just bring it to him and ask him, what's the origin? What's the root? Ask questions. Pray. Bring it to him. And then before I knew it, I was driving on the right road. I got to my destination. And I'm here today. So thanks, God. Um, I think that we might just start, or start the end, with um, just coming out of agreement in any way that we might have made agreement with the orphan wounds and the orphan spirit. Okay? So if you feel comfortable, you can repeat after me aloud or in your head, whatever you feel comfortable with. So. Father God, 
I am your daughter. I am all you say that I am. Forgive me for believing lesser about myself. I repent of low self-esteem, fear and control, and self-sufficiency. I lay down the walls of self-protection, the defense mechanisms I've used all these years. I choose to lay them down and invite you into those places because you're a good dad and I can trust you. So I repent of believing the lies of the orphan spirit. And we come out of agreement with the orphan mindset and we cast out the orphan spirit in Jesus' name, commanding it to go into the abyss and never come back. And in Jesus' name, I receive identity that I am a daughter and that you're taking my hand to walk into glory of my identity and promised land that you have prepared for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for this word, this powerful word. Thank you, Father, that you have so much more. We open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Father, continue the work that you began in us. In Jesus' name. I feel like this is, was a real, uh, this is a real pivotal time in our lives as God's daughters. This word was uh, spoken over us tonight for change, for revelation to come to us and realize what some things that have hindered us from going forward and what he's called us to do. Um, we've often wondered what what hinders me from doing, you know, what he's called me to do or, or to step into uh, that promised land that he has for us. So we would, I would like all, those of you who have been asked to come and minister to come on forward and those of you who would like uh, ministry Please don't leave without it. Even if you just come up and have uh, the ladies agree with you in prayer, I know that um, God will give them a word for you or a prayer for you. So don't leave without that. We encourage you just to hang on to the Lord, see what he has for you, be real with him. Go to the cross. That's what it's all about. Go to the foot of the cross. Lay out before him. He loves you. He cares about you. He created you. You have such such purpose and value. And as, as Shannon shared tonight, oh, my word, we're daughters of the king. And look at the stuff from birth on that we've allowed to hinder us from that. Let this be a real pivotal time in your life. Make that turn. Go forward as a daughter of the king. And in, in the truth, agree with the truth. Agree with the word, not with what your past, your the enemy of your soul has told you, let this be pivotal. I don't care if you're uh, 14 or if you're 80 or what, however old you are. God has a purpose for you hearing this today. Get full freedom from that orphan spirit. Thank you, Father. I want to tell you ladies to come up. Thank you, Lord.